Well, open your Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter 28 as we look at the last half of Isaiah's prophecy to Judah concerning what has happened to their northern neighbors, Israel. But before we do that and look into God's Word, as always, let's, uh, let's pray and ask for his, Him to open up our hearts and our minds so that we might hear what the Spirit has to say to our church. Lord God, again, just a great time of worship, just recognizing how awesome and worthy you are to be praised for all that you have done for us in providing a way of salvation and also, Lord, for our sanctification, continuing to build us up in our most holy and precious faith. And we pray that you would continue to do that as we read your word. We pray that your spirit would speak to us, Lord God, and show us our hearts, and where we are, and how we could heed the warning that was given to ancient Israel so long ago. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So the title of this morning's message is Security Blankets. You can see the picture up there. How many know this guy? Linus, his little security blanket. You don't have to raise your hand if you still have one. Or... (laughs) But if you do, we all have our favorite blanket maybe that we like. But security blankets are, there's a lot written on them. I was actually studying them this week, the psychology of a security blanket. And it doesn't stop when you are a little child. There are even adult security blankets, believe it or not. <laughs> They're basically in uh, psychology, uh, in spe- especially in human child development, called transitional objects. They help you transition from one phase of your life to the next. And they actually do provide security for those who are holding on to them. But it's not just blankets. Maybe you have a a special something that provides you security. Maybe it's a teddy bear of some sort that you might carry around with you. Maybe it's music. People sometimes when they need to go to their happy place will go to music. Or maybe it's coffee. I know I love having just a hot cup of coffee in the morning. It provides security for me to wake up and get going for the day. But there are different things that each and every one of us has that we go to, as Pastor John prayed this morning, when we're having a hard time, you might be thinking of that right now, when you're having a rough time, a rough patch in your life, there are things that we all tend to cling to, and they're not, necess- they're not bad necessarily. Again, you know, it could be food or music or some of us just like to curl up in bed when we're having a bad day and it brings security. Some of us actually, you know what, I need to go to church. I'm having a bad spell in life and this is the, the bad side. If you're, if you're going to church just to kind of like a, to get that, you know, rub God's like lucky foot and have a good luck, that is a bad thing. That's not what church is for. But those other things, that's what they tend to be for us, right? Maybe like to give us a little bit of you know, energy, uh, provide safety for us. Again, it's our happy place. And some of them can even be detrimental, right? Sometimes we go to unhealthy habits. You know, maybe it's, you know, cigarettes or alcohol that people turn to or even more extreme things where they find comfort in. And so that's what we're going to address this morning with Judah because the prophet Isaiah is going to point out to Judah that they have cling to a security blanket. And again, if you think of security blankets, 
uh, there's, there's a technical term for them. They're called, it's called essentialism. It's the idea that this object is more than just what it physically is. Again, the, the blanket, again, that Linus is holding is supposed to cover you and keep you warm, but it's more than that to him. And so we view objects as more than that as well. And Judah, as we'll see, clinged to something that they thought was going to be more than what they actually were. And Isaiah is going to point that out to them this morning. And as you could tell, each and every one of us, I'm going to ask to look at our own lives and see, do we have security blankets that we run to that maybe take the place of our Lord who should be our security? So let's look at the text this morning. Okay, let's, let's, I'm going to read through it and then come back. And, and so just by way of introduction, there's, there's a few different things going on here so you don't get lost in all the poetic and prophetic language. Isaiah is going to start in verse 14 by getting attention of the rulers and the leaders of Judah and explain to them what they're doing. Then he's going to tell them what God is going to do and then by way of a parable, he's going to say, you guys should listen just like a farmer listens to the instructions, and therefore you will be blessed if you do the things that God has called you to do. Pretty simple outline, but again, you can kind of get lost in the language. And again, you guys have been going through Isaiah with me for the past year and a half, almost two years, and Isaiah can get a little confusing at times. So don't get lost. I hope that helps provide a little structure for what's going on. So verse 14 picks up again. Isaiah has just spoken to Judah about their northern neighbors, that they're going to suffer from the Assyrian army that is coming upon them. And so he's trying to warn Judah basically to trust in God instead of something else. And he says this, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, O scoffers, who rule this people who are in Jerusalem. So he's talking to the rulers of the people of Judah specifically in Jerusalem, which is the capital of Judah. So it's like saying, woe to you rulers in Washington. You get the point. It's those people who rule the United States. So in Jerusalem, these are the people that rule Judah. Because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have made a pact, the overwhelming scourge which will, will not reach us when it passes by. They're speaking of the Assyrian army. For we have made falsehood our refuge, and we have concealed ourselves with deception. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am, lying, excuse me, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed. He who believes in it will, be, will not be disturbed. I will make justice the measuring line and righteous the level. Then hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and the waters will overflow the secret place. Your covenant with death will be canceled, and your pact with Sheol will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, then you become its trampling place. As often as it passes through, it will seize you. For morning after morning it will pass through. Any time during the day or night, it will be sheer terror to understand what it means. This is my favorite verse in the whole thing, just because the visual. The bed is too short on which to stretch out, and the blanket is too small to wrap oneself in. Has anybody ever had that? Had a blanket that's too small and you can't cover yourself? This is what 
Isaiah is saying to them that this security, I'm going into my sermon a little bit, that you're trying to cover yourself is like having a small little blanket. It's too small and you don't even realize it. Or it's like having a small bed where your feet are sticking over the edge of the bed. That's a little frustrating if you've ever done that. When I lay in my son Jonathan's bed with him sometimes, my feet will hang off the end. So you kind of like curl up for safety and protection. So anyways, a little bit into my life there that maybe it's too much. All right, verse 21. For the Lord will rise up as at Mount Perizim, and he will stir up in the valley of Gibeon to do his task, his unusual task, and to work his work, his extraordinary work. And do not carry on as scoffers, or your fetters will be made stronger. For I have heard from the Lord God of hosts, O decisive, dest- of decisive destruction on all the earth. And now he's going to go into a parable explaining to them that you guys need to learn just like this wise farmer does and applying the instructions that you have. And this is what he says in verse 23. Give ear and hear my words. Listen and hear my words. Does the farmer plow continually to plant seed? Does he continually turn and harrow the ground? Does he not level its surface and sow dill and scatter cumin and plant wheat in rows? barely in its place, and barley in its place, and rye within its area. For his God instructs and teaches him properly. For dill is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor is the cartwheel driven over cumin, but dill is beaten out with the rod and cumin with the club. Grain for bread is crushed. Indeed, he does not continue to thresh it forever because the wheel of his cart and his horses eventually damage it. He does it, he does not thresh it longer. This also comes from the Lord of hosts, who has made his counsel wonderful and his wisdom great. And so that is Isaiah's prophetic speech to the rulers of Judah. So let's go back now to the very beginning at verse 14 and pick out the specifics. So so Isaiah again is warning the rulers of Judah in verse 14, and he calls them something interesting. He calls them scoffers. Now, a scoffer is a word that the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, like Psalms and Proverbs, Job, books like that, use to describe the character of certain people. It's a way to describe the wicked. So the wicked are compared to scoffers. And scoffers are those who are the exact opposite of the faithful. So he's making this contrast between between a faithful believer or follower of Yahweh and a scoffer of Yahweh. So a scoffer, what do they do? They mock the ways of God. They make fun of God. They make fun of God's word. They make fun of God's counsel. That's what a scoffer does. Not only that, a scoffer will willingly mislead others away from God. So they make fun of God, and they willingly mislead people away from the Lord. And so this is the accusation that Isaiah has for the rulers of Judah. People that were supposed to be, the rulers are supposed to lead the people to God, and Isaiah is saying, you guys are leading them away from God, and you're doing it deliberately. Now, as I want to show you a prophecy about scoffers. Turn to the book of Ezekiel, just a few books over. And specifically turn to Ezekiel chapter 13. Because Ezekiel has some harsh words for scoffers, or specifically the rulers of 
the nation of Israel, Judah. Look at what he says in Ezekiel 13. These are harsh words, verse 6. And again, they're harsh words because they are scoffers, people that are doing it deliberately. And he says this, They see falsehood and lying divination who are saying, The Lord declares when the Lord has not sent them, yet they hope for fulfillment of their word. Did you not see a false vision and speak a lying divination when you said, the Lord declares? So you see what's happening here? The leaders of the people are saying that, hey, the Lord spoke to me and said this and that. And God's saying, you are lying when you say the Lord spoke to you. Look at what, as he continues on. For the Lord says, I have not, but it is not I who have spoken. Therefore, thus says the Lord, because you have spoken falsehood, and see a lie, therefore behold, I am against you, declares the Lord God. So my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They have no place in the council of my people, nor will they be written down in the register of the house of Israel, nor will they enter the land of Israel, that you may know that I am the Lord God. It is definitely because they have, look, they have misled my people by saying peace when there is no peace. So this is what Isaiah is saying, is you guys are scoffers in being that you mislead willingly the people of God. You're saying that you're speaking for the Lord, and you really are not. You're speaking out of falsehoods and false divinations. And it is, it is a stern warning for us as well when somebody says, Thus says the Lord. I love this verse that Steve Lawson, a pastor, says. He goes, if somebody says, thus says the Lord, they better have scripture and verse after what they say. Don't just say, oh, that, I have this thing from the Lord, and he's telling you to do this and this. Well, you better have a verse, a chapter and verse after that when you say, thus says the Lord. Be very careful and leery of even well-meaning people when they say, thus says the Lord. Because if they say, thus says the Lord, it should be coming out of this, not from false divinations and lying. So be careful of that, because this is condemnation to them. And God says, you are misleading my people when you say the Lord says such and such. Jesus himself, you may remember, Jesus had some very harsh words himself for people who would cause stumbling of little children. Do you remember that in Matthew 18, verses 6 through 7, he says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, so you're misleading them like a scoffer, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because it's stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes." Jesus recognizes that there are going to be scoffers in this world. There are even going to be scoffers standing behind a pulpit. And he's saying, woe to that person who deliberately misleads, especially little children, that it would be better for you to be drowned, right? Tie a big stone around your neck and drown yourself before you mislead God's children. It is a stern warning for those of you in children's ministry, no, I'm just kidding. You guys are like, oh, oh, oh. Mindy's like, what happened? Everybody dropped out of children's ministry now. <laughs> they don't want to say something wrong. 
Well, it is a little warning for those of us that speak for the Word of God or teach God's Word in any capacity. You better enter the pulpit or teaching somebody from God's Word with a little bit of hesitation and reverence for God's Word because you don't want to mislead. I always say, if you can teach God's children, you know, in Sunday school and make God's word real, you know, easy for them to understand, then standing up in front of the church and teaching adults is a lot, it's easier. Because you're taking these hard concepts and breaking them down for little children, getting them to understand, right? And then they probably mock you and make fun of you and talk back to you as little kids do, tease you or say, what does God mean? Or ask you those hard questions. The good thing from the pulpit is, guess what? You guys don't say anything back to me so I can... Just say what I want. But the point being is if the nation of Israel, the rulers, it's the rulers, not the, necessarily the people, it's the rulers are misleading the people. So Isaiah is saying, you guys need to be careful about what you are doing. And so let's move on back to our text in verse 14. All right. So he wants them to listen. He's just given them an illustration of the northern tribe. In verses 1 through 13, he's like, now it's for you guys. Listen, learn from that example that I just spoke to you about, about the northern tribes. And listen to this warning now that I'm going to give you, right? And this warning, as I started the sermon off, is coming against them because they have pledged their trust. They had put their security, their security blanket, so to speak, and someone else, something that is not God. Hence the warning in verse 15. Now let's look at the warning. And it's interesting that Isaiah is speaking for them and showing them what their security really is. And that's why it says in verse 15, because you have said, so he's speaking as if the rulers were talking, we have made a covenant with death. And with Sheol, we have a pact. The overwhelming scourge will not reach us when it passes by. For we have made falsehood our refuge, and we have concealed ourselves with deception. So he is kind of making fun of them. He's scoffing at the scoffers. Right? He's saying, you guys really think you've made a pact of security, but it's really a covenant of death. You've made a pact with Sheol, or the underworld, and you've wrapped it in falsehood in deception. Again, little Linus has this security blanket, and it doesn't really call, you know, protect him in the way that he wants to. It's psychological. He's, in a way, kind of deceiving himself to make him feel better. That object is, really isn't what it is. And again, we all have those things you know, that we make bigger than what they are. That was that word, essentialism. So history and scripture tells us that the nation of Judah is seeking comfort, their security blanket, so to speak, is the nation Egypt. So as Assyria is coming down from the north and is going to wipe out the northern tribes, Judah is searching, as we've been studying, all over the place for all the other nations around them to, for protection. And in this instance, it's Egypt that they are going to go down to and ask for help. This is their covenant with death. And this sinful decision that they make is spelled out perfectly in a few chapters. Turn with me to chapter 30 of Isaiah, so just probably a page or two in your Bibles. And it's spelled out more directly here what God is saying to them. So we'll revisit this scenario again in a few weeks. 
Look at what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 30. He says, Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord. And this is what they do. Who execute a plan, but not mine. And make an alliance or a covenant, but not of my spirit. So they're making their own plan, but it's not God's plan. They're making an alliance with somebody, but it's not with God. In order to add sin to sin. So they're sinning already by going away from God. And they're doing what God's called them not to do in adding sin upon sin. And verse 2 says, who proceed down to Egypt. So this is why I said scripture tells us what they're doing. They proceed down to Egypt without consulting me. So they didn't ask for the Lord's guidance or direction. They just went and did it on their own. To take refuge in the safety of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. So that's what they are done. This is their security blanket, so to speak, is the nation Egypt. And maybe at times God can have them do that, but his, their rebellion right now is that they didn't consult God. Sometimes God might want the nation of Israel to get an alliance, but not this time. And so that's their sin. And so this alliance is not necessarily going to cause them to get wiped out by God, because if you know the history of the nation of Israel, they're actually saved from being wiped out by Assyria, and they're actually taken into captivity by Babylon some years later. But God's plan for them was not to go down to Egypt, was to trust God in the midst of this storm. Don't go do what you think you need to do, but wait for the Lord. And they did not do that. So they suffered because of that. One commentator, he wrote this about this scenario, about not waiting for God or not consulting God. He writes, How much more would he, meaning God, be able to redeem if trusted now and not only after the hard blows of experience? I mentioned this last week. Some people, need, instead of listening to what God says now, they need to go through hard times and then they're awakened. They learn from the school of hard knocks. Instead of listening to what God says now, they actually go through the hard time, and then they go, oh, I need to come back to the Lord. I, need to, I should have done what the Lord told me. And they learn that way. But how much more would it be, would God be able to redeem you if you followed him now? But unfortunately, Judah's too impatient. Or maybe they didn't like the way that God was going to do things. Remember, it wasn't God's plan that they were pursuing. It was their own plan. They didn't consult God. They went and maybe they thought, I need to help God out here in my situation. God's not saving us. He's allowing Assyria to get too close to us. We don't like it. Hey, there's a mighty nation down south. Let's go ask the Egyptians to help us. And so, again, they do that and they're condemned for that. And unfortunately, maybe you could think even in your own life, sometimes you try to help God out. Go and do what you want to do because it's not happening for you. God's not providing security the way that you want security. And you go out and maybe get yourself in a little bit of trouble and then you come back to the Lord. I think we have all can say we've done something to that extent or get ourselves in trouble, taking matters into our own hands. So going back to our text now in Isaiah 28, again, Isaiah is scoffing at the scoffers, saying that they've made a covenant with death and a pact with Sheol, or the underworld. And again, they've made falsehood their refuge, 
and they've concealed themselves in deception. They're fooling themselves again and thinking that this security blanket is going to save them. But God says, you know what? That's not going to save you. I'm going to tell you what's going to save you. And that's where we pick up in verse 16. He says this, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the level. So God is saying, I'm going to provide the security and that firm foundation that you guys need to trust in. It is not in Egypt. Egypt is, is weak. They're a weak stone. They're a cheap stone. God describes himself as a costly cornerstone, a tested stone. He stands the test of time. Israel should know that by their history. Was it not God who got them through the Red Sea to escape from Pharaoh? Wasn't it God who delivered all their enemies into their hands in the promised land, in the book of Joshua? And in Judges, did he not always deliver them? He's been tested, and yet they fail to recognize that, and they go out on their own to seek a shaky foundation instead of this cornerstone. Now, a cornerstone in building stone temples is the main stone that holds everything together. This is the first stone that is laid down. And it's to ensure that the building is square and stable. So you need to have that first stone that is set to be a solid and firm and tested stone. And then everything else will hold together. So you see what he's saying. You guys are using this faulty and shaky stone. And then you're going to build this stone building of false security. And it's going to fall down right when it's tested. And that's what he says in verses, at the rest of verse 17. He says, Then hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and waters will overflow the secret place. And your covenant, verse 18, will, with death will be canceled, and your pact with Sheol will not stand when the overwhelming scourge passes through, then you will become its trampling place. He says, if you guys go to Egypt and place Egypt as a cornerstone, when Assyria comes, they're going to trample you. You're not going to have a solid and firm foundation. Instead, he says in verse 16, he said, he who believes in it, meaning the chief cornerstone that God lays, will not be disturbed. And it's interesting to note that that word disturbed literally means to be hurried. You will not be hurried. I mean, you're not going to be running around frantically. You're going to be at peace, which would be the opposite of not being, or of being hurried. You feel frantic. You got to get things going. I got to do this. I got to do that. And that's what Judah's doing. He's saying, if you trust in me, the chief cornerstone, you will not be hurried. You'll be at peace. It'll be calm. It'll be okay. So those covenant that you're making is not going to help you. It's going to lead to your demise, and it's going to seize you with terror. Look at verse 19. This is where he says, As often as it passes through, meaning this coming storm, it will seize you because you've built on that faulty ground. For morning after morning it will pass through any time during the day or night, and it will be sheer terror to understand what it means. And then he gives that comparison. It's like the bed is too short on which to stretch out, and the blanket is too small to wrap oneself in. So that bed and blanket is Egypt. Their security, it's not going to provide what they want. God is the one that can leave them undisturbed. 
but they have to trust in him. He says again in earlier in verse 16, he who believes in it will not be disturbed. Believes in what? The chief cornerstone in the Lord. And then he goes on to verse 21, because these people are going to trust in Egypt, he says, for the Lord will rise up as at Mount Perizim, and he will be stirred up as in the valley of Gibeon to do his task, his unusual task. So instead of being there fighting for them, he's going to fight against them. That's why it's unusual. And to work his work, his extraordinary work. And so his plead for them in verses 21, or 21 and 22 is that, hey, God's going to come against you, but you need to listen. He says, do not and now do not carry on scoffers. Like, please listen, don't carry on scoffing because what's going to happen? Your fetters will be made stronger. Those irons, the chains are going to be stronger and they're going to kind of like cement you in your decision. The longer you scoff at God's word, the longer you don't trust in the Lord, the chains that you are wearing, of the spiritual chains of bondage get stronger and stronger. It's easier to stay away from God. It's easier to make fun of the Lord. And so Isaiah is warning them, don't keep scoffing at the Lord. As a matter of fact, he adds, give ear in verse 23, give ear and hear my voice, listen and hear my words, because judgment is coming, he says. And then he gives that parable for them in verses 23 through 29, which I would just say in summary, that he's doing this to illustrate again, as I mentioned that this parable of the wise farmers, here's a farmer, he knows how to farm, he knows how to sow, he knows how to throw grain out, and he learns it from the Lord. Will you not listen to the Lord, O rulers of Judah? Your instruction comes from the same God that instructs this farmer, and God's word, he says at the end of verse 29, his counsel is wonderful and his counsel is great. Will you please listen? He's pleading with them. Listen. Listen to the word of God. Don't go through what is coming. Don't put your security in Egypt. Because again, if you do, it is not going to be, it's not going to provide all that you need. What you need is the chief cornerstone, the Lord himself, trusting in him. So, with that said, what can we learn from this section of Isaiah. Well, as I started off mentioning, each and every one of us has a security blanket of some sort. But what about for your salvation? Do you find that your security for salvation in the Lord? That's the question we all need to ask ourselves. Again, and only you can answer that question. I can't answer that for you. Your parents can't answer that for you. Your children can't answer that for you. Your spouse can't answer that for you. Only you can. Where do you put your security of your salvation? Is it in the Lord or is it in something else? You see, the Lord has provided for our security already. He has laid the chief cornerstone, who is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Turn with me to the book of Acts. As the disciples are proclaiming God's word, as they're going out through all the world... After somebody has been healed, look at what they say, who is the chief cornerstone. In Acts chapter 4, look at verse 10. They say, and let this be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel 
that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. And then he elaborates on who Jesus is. He says this, He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. So he's saying those prophecies of the Old Testament, that cornerstone that was rejected by our ancestors and by you now because you crucified Jesus, he's become the chief cornerstone. And look at verse 12. It says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men which we must be saved. There is only one person that ensures our salvation, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity is an exclusive religion. God is exclusive. There are not many ways to get to God. The scripture tells us clearly right here, there is one name under heaven whereby men must be saved. And it is through the cornerstone of the work and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Not only for our salvation, but also in our sanctification, it means to build us up, to mature us in our faith. Uh, turn with me to another book. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, in talking about how we grow as believers, look at what it says. Ephesians chapter 2, just look at verse 19. Ephesians 2 verse 19 says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. So he's speaking to the Gentiles, saying you guys are part of the nation Israel as believers now. You're in God's household, right? How is this possible? Look at verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So it's built up on the solid foundation. That firm foundation is Jesus Christ and his work. Look at verse 21. In whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you have been, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So not only is this cornerstone provide our salvation, it's the basis for our growth as believers. And let's conclude with this one last section. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we'll, let's look at this building up of the Lord. How does the Lord build us up? Well, let's read the scripture. 1 Peter 2, and we're going to just look at verses 2 through 5 and end with three points here. 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 2. He says this, Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation. He's talking about growing our sanctification, our maturity as believers. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord and come to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up in, excuse me, being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable through Jesus Christ. And he goes on and talks about the cornerstone again. So let's end with these three points. The Lord is building us up as believers. So if you are saved, you've already trusted in that cornerstone. Now then, what do we do? 
You see, there's two extremes. There's a belief that, hey, I'm saved and that's it. Meaning there's nothing to do. I can just go out and live like I used to live. Because I, I walked down, I said a prayer, I signed the card, they handed me the New Believer's Bible, and I'm saved, right? Once saved, always saved. No matter what I do from this point forward, nothing's going to happen. And then there's that other extreme that says, no, once you walk forward, then you got to read your Bible. you got to pray every day. got to be in fellowship. you got to go to midweek study. you got to go to prayer group. You see those two extremes? There's pros and cons to both of those. And so we need to stay so more centered in the middle as we come to the Lord, we get our new believer's Bible, and then because of that, we go to church. Because of that, we want to be in fellowship. Because of that, we pray. And because of that, we worship. So to build this up, here Peter says, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow up in respect to your salvation. The reason that we continue to read God's word and come to church is to, for what purpose? To grow up so that we may mature in our faith. The Lord builds us up through his word. He doesn't do it by a bunch of other things that are outside of where it's all based upon his word. If it's not in his word, then it probably won't build us up. This is the firm foundation is going through God's word. God's word should be the most important thing. Sorry. In our, I just wanted to wake you up. Not only just build you up. God's word is that foundation that each and every one of us matures in our walk. Right, just like a newborn baby, they want that milk, right? They want to be fed. Feed me, feed me, feed me. They cry, feed me, feed me, feed me. Maybe some of you cry like that too when you're hungry. But a baby, that's what they need. That's how they grow. And the apostle Peter saying, you as a church, you as a believer, you grow the same way by wanting God's word. So you need to ask yourself, do you have a desire to learn God's word, to read God's word? If you don't, you need to ask yourself, am I, one, am I really saved? Two, why don't I have a desire? You know, I walk down, I'm saved, and that's it. That's the point. It's like, I don't need to do anything else. Well, if you're truly saved, he's saying you're going to desire God's word. You're going to desire to be in fellowship. You're going to desire to worship God. You're going to desire to pray for other people. You don't do all those things to get saved. You do those things because you're saved. And the more you read God's word, the more you see that. So the Lord builds us up through his word, and he builds us up according to Peter here for two purposes, and there's many more, but just because of what the text says. Number one, to be his witness. The Lord builds us up to be his witnesses. We get saved, and we don't just keep it to ourselves. Remember that little song you sung in Sunday school, This Little Light of Mine? What are you going to do? You can respond now. I'm going to let it, you're not going to do what? Hide it, right? See, we all know that. See, good job, Sunday school teachers. Right? We're going to be, we let it shine to do what? To be a witness, to let everybody see it. And you can ask, why am I not being a witness? Do, again, is my life being a witness? Am I evidencing the love of God to other people? Am I evidencing the salvation of the Lord to other people? Right? Doesn't mean you're like shining it in their eyes and being annoying like that. No. It's just a natural glow of your life. Are you being a witness? 
And here in our text, that's what he says, right? We are living stones, which has been rejected by man. Look at verse 5. You are, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. For what purpose? For a holy priesthood. Priests represented the Lord to the people. We as witnesses represent the Lord to this world. And then finally, he says, at the last half of that verse, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He's talking about our worship, our life. He's building us up so that we can offer our life back to the Lord. When we worship the Lord, we are just offering Him back all the praise that He deserves. Because of what you've done for me, your mercy, your grace. Think of the words that we say when we sing songs. We're praising God for what He's done for us. It can be entertaining, and, and we want it, maybe you want it to be entertaining, but the worship isn't about being entertained. And if you think that, then you don't have the right frame of mind. As entertaining as our worship team is, that's not what it's about. It's about worshiping God. They're just standing in front of us, leading us in worship as we worship God and give back to the Lord the praises of our lips, the spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So our security, number one, should be found in the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation, and secondly, for our growth. We grow as we study the Word of God, through the Word of God, and we become witnesses and worshipers of the Lord, the chief cornerstone. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your Word. We thank you, Lord, not only for your Word as it warns us, but also that it encourages us to return back to you, to heed your warnings. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you warn us and that you even discipline us, Lord God, so that we might grow up in our faith, so that we might be witnesses to the rest of this world and not only that, but to our brothers and sisters inside the church, that we might all grow up in our faith to be witnesses and worshipers of you so that all the world can see the chief cornerstone of our life, and they too would experience salvation. And we thank you for that now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.